0: I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have this much money because I've never seen money like this in my life.
1: From Rise Up Financial, it's This American Wallet, a show where we anonymously interview people from all walks of life about how they make, save, and spend their money. I'm your host, Annalise Brethauer. I'm a certified financial planner professional on a mission to break the taboo of talking about money. As a reminder, nothing discussed on this episode should be considered advice of any kind please consult the appropriate financial professional about your specific situation. Now back to the show. We're here with a top producing real estate agent in California. Welcome.
0: Hi, Annalise. Thank you for having me.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks for joining us. So we're going to get started today understanding a little bit more about you and how you got into real estate. So I'm going to let you take it from here. Tell us a little bit of background.
0: For sure. Um, So out of college, I had quite a few job offers um, and I chose to go work for a, a wine tech company in California. Um, and then realized that this was not for me. I was super bored at work. Um, I was working like five hours out of the day. We had like ping pong tables and like three catered meals for lunch, um, a week. And I, we had snacks always in the kitchen. I mean, it was really a great place to work 30 paydays off a year. Like I just couldn't say enough great things about it, but I also was just so bored out of my mind and hated my job. I was calling 200 people a day and trying to sell like 20 cases of wine a day, which equated to selling about $70,000 in wine a month. Um, so anyways, I, I got out of that and um, was starting to think, okay, I need to go into real estate and and maybe uh, take the courses. So I started taking the courses and then quickly realized that um, I got my license and, and it was time to switch and get out of that. So on October 17th of 2017, um, I went straight into real estate.
1: So did you always know you wanted to go into real estate?
0: Um, so my dad had quite a few um, rental properties. My brother has one too. And um, my dad had always mentioned that I would be a great realtor. And so I kind of was just like, well, I first of all, I love teaching. And I think that's where the background I come from when I'm talking to my clients is education. So mm-hmm. I think that that's where it equated. But you know, I, if I could have been a teacher and would have probably, but financially it'd be much better to go into real estate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get that. Uh, well, so long as, as you're kind of bringing in income.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard for a lot of people. I mean, 80% of um, realtors, we just, they just did a study actually at our office, that uh, 80% of the realtors in our offices and our market centers are making about $15 an hour, which wow. is super sad because of all yeah. the fees they pay and they don't do enough business I,
1: as a business owner myself I know how difficult marketing is <laughs> so um how, how do you go about marketing to your clients
0: yeah um so we do a bunch of different things um I guess uh, well, first of all like when we take on a listing we do amazing photography right to set ourselves our, apart from um all the other agents and um, we do a lot of social media advertising and marketing, but we also do a lot of like holding in person stuff. So um, we'll go take people out to lunch. We'll take people out to dinner. I try to do one dinner a month with a past or with a past client. We do uh, two business partnership lunches. So. A lot of times we get referred by other businesses. So I take them out to lunch like next week, I'm meeting with an insurance agent um, to try to secure her as my go-to home insurance person for my clients, but also potentially to get referrals from her, right? It has to be a little bit of a two-way street. So trying to always um, connect with other people, and it doesn't necessarily always work out, right? Sometimes I have to cut off business partnerships. other times I have to... Um, you know, pour into them a little bit more. But that's important. And then um, I actually do client appreciation events uh, to make sure that they always are aware. And even if they don't attend, I think the invite alone separates me from other people. And so people will, you know, remember me and I'm at top of mind when someone else is talking about buying or selling a home.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like your kind of take on the invite alone keeps you top of mind and then thinking about about you and, and what sets you apart. So let's transition into talking about your relationship with money. What was money like for you growing up?
0: So my dad <laughs> for years would tell us we're poor. Like I thought we were poor for so many years,
2: I but then we would
0: always, <laughs> but we would always have like, my dad be like buying a truck and I'd be like, how are we poor? And we're buying a truck. And then we'd buy an RV and I'm like, how we're poor and we're buying an RV, um, and then you know, then my parents before they got divorced were thinking about buying a second home. And I'm like, how are we poor and we're buying a second home? Um, they put me in private school. So for the beginning part of my education up until third grade, you know, they actually would volunteer time at the school to try to get down my tuition, um, so that they could send me to private school. And I think that's amazing, Um, but it also kind of made me think, like, even as a kid, like, I knew other parents, um, other kids' parents that were doctors and stuff that were at my school were not doing that, and my dad was, like, painting the shed. So it definitely made me realize, I also remember my dad, um, he had this old Toyota truck, and it would shotgun, like, when we were leaving the school parking lot, when he would turn it on, and I was so embarrassed, because I knew none of the other kids had like a car that would like make a huge shotgun sound as he like they turned it on so I I remember being embarrassed by it but um later on I'll I'll just skip ahead later on when I'm like 13 14 years old I'm telling my mom like how poor we are at my dad's house because my parents are now divorced and my mom goes listen Zach your dad's not poor he's cheap there's a difference and I'll be like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. Um, and she goes, and I go, well, he says that he only has like $10 to his name. And she goes, that's a, that's what's in his checking account. That's not what it's in, in his savings account. He puts all his money in savings and puts very little money in his checking so that he lives very cheaply. And um, when I realized that, everything changed. I increased. So when I went to um, school from like, basically from probably like fifth or sixth grade, my parents would give me a budget. And I would go to the mall and get all my school clothes for the year. So at first it was like 400 bucks. They would still get me like kind of the standard stuff, like a jacket and a shoes and like that stuff. But the $400 was for like shirts and jeans. And, and that was supposed to last me all year long. So I had to think about seasons and what, what I was going to wear. Um, and then when I realized that he wasn't poor, I was like, this is getting increased to $650. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That that's interesting. I want to pause there because, how do you think your parents? What do you think made them decide to give you a budget for school clothes versus just buying you things that you needed when you needed them?
2: Totally.
0: I um I think that first of all that's super great. I I, now looking back, my parents were teaching me a lot about money and like yeah, I wanted the Air Force One Nikes. I was gonna be super cool. Um. But I couldn't afford them because I also needed to get pants. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it made you be like, okay, I want style. So I'll go to Foot Locker and get the knockoff Air Force Ones. And then I'll go get some jeans or whatever. But um, looking back of why they did that, I think, honestly, they were lazy. I think they were, I was such, a, I'm very picky and I, not with food because I obviously love to eat. You can, well, no one can see me on this, just so you know, I'm a little heavy set. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm picky with my clothes and picky with my house that I like everything in a certain way. So they were just so over taking me to different stores and me being unhappy that they were just like, we're going to literally just drop you off and you find your stuff and we'll be over here in like the food court waiting for you. So-
1: Did any of your friends have the same experience with school clothes as you did. <laughs> did did you guys talk about this growing up
0: okay so my high school I remember in high school like or no it was it high school or maybe middle school I was telling them like oh like I negotiated my budget up from last year and they were like what and I, I think maybe I thought maybe more kids had this opportunity obviously they didn't <laughs> yeah so I had remember I told you it was 350 I must have been like 13 or 14 so maybe I was in middle school and then I was like okay I need like Six hundred and fifty. So I started off at seven fifty. I was like, I need seven hundred and fifty dollars for clothes, and my parents lost it and were like, Absolutely not. We're not giving you seven hundred and fifty dollars. Like we can't afford that. And so um, I was like, Okay, fine, six hundred and fifty. And then like got them to like sign with six hundred and fifty. So I kind of learned the art of negotiation. But my to go back to my friends, no, they they definitely did not have the same experience. A lot of the kids I went to school, with, especially in public school, did not have a lot of money to even buy clothes. Um, and then the the kids that were, um, you know, in the sense, wealthy or whatever, I don't think I was really friends with them. Mm. Um, and maybe that's also because I think my dad always said like you hang out with people that are like you and, and especially in the, the same financial class and, mm-hmm. and it, it, because it's comfortable to people. Like if you're poor, you're comfortable around poorer people. If you're wealthy, you're comfortable around wealthier people because that's your norm. So um, I think I just didn't hang out with that group of friends because I, I didn't have them.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. That's an interesting um, idea that that people who are less fortunate hang out with people in their social, social economic class, um, and wealthy people hang out with wealthy people. As a, a child, how do you think you developed, um, kind of your, your ideas about who, who fit in what class?
0: Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, I guess I just saw like people living without. So where I grew up, my parents bought a um, very, it was a custom home, but it was on a very large lot in a normal neighborhood. So it was basically the builder who built our entire neighborhood, built that house for himself. Mm. Um, So all the other houses were the exact same and our house is this like large rancher at the end of a court with like this massive lot. Okay. So, um, everybody around us there was a lot of you know i would say half the the demographic was renters so um those people tend to not have or didn't have a lot of money or their houses didn't look as nice right and then um behind our house was a creek and then a park and a, a little like pocket neighborhood and it had a bunch of condos in it and a lot of the less fortunate people lived there um and so I had friends in that in that neighborhood. I definitely had friends with every social economic class or whatever, you know, financial economic class. But I was friends with them and I would see, like, I knew to kind of refrain talking about certain stuff to make people feel comfortable because I didn't want them to not feel comfortable around me because I knew, you know, their financial means, that they were living off McDonald's and, you know, other things. And my parents were having me every night. You know, I could tell easily that there was... Some financial problems.
1: Yeah, yeah. Society kind of teaches you um, whether it's right or wrong mm-hmm. h- how to look at certain situations and evaluate them from a financial perspective. Um, and that and that's part of what this podcast is designed to do because there's such a taboo talking about money, and it it's just not helpful for anyone. You know, we we all can rise up and level up our financial um space together. So let's transition into to how you're growing up. Your experience with money has led to your relationship and your adult life with money.
0: Yeah. So I'll just be honest. Um, you know, my income last year was about 230,000. Um I'm paying a lot of money in taxes this year.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: I definitely didn't save enough for taxes for my income last year. So some of my income this year is paying for my taxes. Um how did it lead? I think that I'm more financially conservative. So to give you an idea, I make $230,000 a year, but my rent is $925 a month. I haven't purchased my home, own home yet. I plan to this year. That's my goal by the end of this year to have a, a property. But, um, you know, when you're self-employed, it's a little harder to uh, obtain those funds for your loan. So, um, I've been a little bit more patient and waiting on that process. Again, I I started in October, 2017. So for a lender's perspective, I needed two full years of doing real estate Mm -hmm. in order to qualify to purchase. Um, so I think I'm just a little bit more financially conservative. I think from the outside looking in, maybe on my Instagram account, people would say differently, um, because I'm out and about always having drinks and dinner with certain people and taking pictures and, you know, traveling but that's what i find appealing and you know my fixed costs at home are very very low so i can go I'll do all those things obviously when i purchase a home i'm probably going to have to refrain from um drinking you know glasses of champagne constantly <laughs> <laughs> so, i'll be on a beer budget finally
1: <laughs> a beer budget of what
0: i'll be i'll be on a beer budget finally <laughs> not, not a champagne budget <laughs>
1: So, uh, let's talk about that $230,000 number because a couple of years ago you're working in the wine industry and, and I presume it was not paying that much.
0: No, I was making, um, my, my base salary was 55,000 plus commissions.
1: And do you remember how much you were making commissions?
0: I think I was total like 65 to $70,000 a year. That's how much I was making.
1: Okay. Okay. So not
0: in commissions, but. In total income.
1: Yeah. So you've essentially tripled your income in a couple of years by making this career change. I'm sure it was scary mm-hmm. and terrifying to was, some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: <laughs> so the average realtor, just so everybody knows, an average realtor will not sell their first home for the first six months. Okay, And I did not have that luxury um, because my parents... Again, in a relationship with money, this is like, it goes straight back to it. My parents do not offer help, right? Like anytime I've ever needed help, I mean, my parents, my dad did give me $10,000 a year for college to pay for part of my tuition, but I still owed more than that, right? So I had to get student loans. Um, and that was very sweet to him. And I'm so appreciative. And I, I shouldn't say they don't offer help, but I think they're a little bit more stringent about, you know, you need to make it on your own, figure mm-hmm. it out. And I, I think it's an absolutely great lesson looking back, obviously, while you're in it, you're like, come on, I just need a little help. Like, you know, I can barely make it. So before I go into real estate, I get this letter and it says I have um, like $11,000 in retirement and an Ober account that I can take out at any time without like major tax penalty other than like income tax penalty. So I uh, decided to take the money out. And that was the money I used to start off. Right. So once I get it, I get like 10 grand or something like that. And I put it in my savings account and um, decide, okay, like this is the money I have to survive off of until I make my first sale in real estate. So I quit my job and thankfully I had a mentor slash boss at the time that I, she was like, you're going to be very, very successful at this. I can already tell you have the it factor, and she just made me feel secure that it was, I was able to make this jump. So I make the jump and within a month I had three homes in escrow. And so that's obviously not normal. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> and, how did, how did you, how did you get those homes?
0: Uh, so like they were most, listings. No, most of them were buyers. Okay. Um, they were, open houses. So I was doing four to five open houses a weekend. So on Friday, I would do one, Saturday I would do two, and Sunday I would do two. And I just started meeting a ton of people. And at the time in the market in October, 2017, um, the market was super red hot. Most realtors weren't even doing their own open houses because homes would go into contract with us seven days without even trying. So they just stopped working, you know, And um, I was calling them. And and if there was a home that sat for more than seven days, I would call the agent from a different brokerage and say, hey, I'm interested in hosting your house open. I noticed, you know, it's been listed. And a lot of times they would let me host their open. um, Or I would host open for my boss because she had a lot of listings. So host those houses open and meet people. And I think that just an understanding and knowledge of the neighborhoods I was uh, selling in helped me a ton because we have a lot of people in our area that are moving from the inner bay area. So when they, when they move out to our way, we want to be able to educate them on what neighborhoods, schools, grocery stores, gyms, where's everything located for them? And are they in a decent neighborhood and um, showing them crime rates and, and actual factual information so that they can make their own decision?
1: Yeah. So back to that education piece that you talked about in the beginning. Mm -hmm. why you really enjoy real estate and what you think sets yourself apart from other agents Mm -hmm. in your area. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, so you make the leap, you're on pins and needles, your parents Mm -hmm. are uninterested in in giving you money. Oh, I should
0: also mention one more thing. My parents, my mom, first day I come back, I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, I got my real estate license. She's like, and she's like, so you're going into real estate full time. And I said, yes. And she goes, how are you going to pay for your retirement? What what are you going to pay for your health care? Do you have the money to do this? Why are you doing this? You shouldn't do this. You need to go work for a normal job. Both my parents have worked in jobs where they get pensions and like full on benefits. Um, so they've never taken risks like this. And so that was pretty difficult.
1: What'd you say? Um, I was pretty
0: upset with her, actually. I think I was like, I was like, I said something like, I wish you would just congratulate me because this is something I really want to do and I hate my job. So... I go, and I also said something like, "I have the opportunity to put more in my retirement than you do, with my financial success in real estate." So please stop.
1: So, <laughs> so, so your your success really started with the mindset. That's what I'm hearing is kind mm-hmm. of this this confidence and this mindset of I'm going to put in the work and I'm going to figure it out, and there's there's no failing.
0: Yeah, I think that was part of it. I also think that you have to when you are jumping to be successful, you have to be okay with failure. Mm. And so I think I definitely was like, if it doesn't work out, guess what? My job loves me so much. They'll accept me back in 2.2 seconds. So (laughs) I'm not that worried about it. I mean, they try to keep me there forever. They offer me better pay. They offered me a management position. They offered me a different position. They were just trying to keep me at that company. And I was like, I can't stay here anymore. So I left. But the door was open. The way I left, they knew that if I needed to come back, they would always offer me a job back.
1: Okay, okay. So there's some some security there, um, in in knowing that you can always go go back to to your previous job. So I want to go back to that. Your current income, two hundred and thirty thousand dollars. How are you managing your finances? I presume being self employed and being a real estate agent you have unique expenses Mm -hmm. and your income is not consistent. So what are you doing to kind of smooth out some of those things?
0: Yeah. Um, so definitely as a realtor, you do keep quite a big savings in your savings account because you're always a little bit nervous. And when I say big, you're maybe looking at, at least for me, it's somewhere between 20 and 60,000, depending on what month, you know, we're in. Um, the reason why I'm doing that is because I always want to be so secure that I'm never pressuring people into buying or selling their home um, because it's not about me. It's about them. So I always like to have that, a lot of that money stashed away so that I know like, I can make my finances and not have to worry. I definitely don't budget. And that's a problem that I think I have. Like, I know my expenses, but also my fixed expenses are typically really, really low. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have to worry about budgeting because in the sense that, you know, I make enough money that I don't have to worry about that. Um, I don't think most realtors are in the same boat as I am. So when people are listening to this, I want them to know, like, most realtors do not make a lot of money. Like I said, 80% of people make about $15 an hour. So... They're not in the boat where they can put money into their retirement or have a savings like that um, to keep them sustainable. So you'll see a lot of agents who are really, really hungry, money hungry, um, because they honestly don't have any money left in their savings account. So they need to make a sale and close it out.
2: Mm,
1: I see. So it, it it gives them a little bit more pressure in maybe not doing what would be the best for their client because they have this financial pressure
3: Mm -hmm. pushing them. Yeah.
1: I want to ask you, you said you keep 20,000 to 60,000 in a savings account. sounds kind of like an emergency fund account. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: How did
1: you come up with that number?
0: Okay. So this is actually really crazy. Sorry. I just did that. Um, So I went to Tony Robbins event in um, San Jose And I was like, before I went to that event, it was my first year in real estate, just to keep that in mind. I had just made quite a bit of money. I just traveled to Europe for three weeks. And I come back from Europe and I'm having like after vacation depression. And my coworker's like, why don't you go to Tony Robbins? It's like $1,500. And I was like, absolutely not. I just came back from this three week long vacation in Europe. I haven't made any money for three weeks. And I also, you know, only have this amount of money in my accounts, right? And I, when we were there at Tony Robbins, um, so I finally decided I'm going, cause I'm like after vacation depression, to wanna go. And um, I go, I had such a blast, it was so much fun. And then while I'm there, I recognize, um, cause she, the girl I was with had previously a lot of money issues okay so they've owned multiple businesses some of those businesses have gone under um they live in a million dollar home but i don't think they have a million dollar budget <laughs> so kind of give you kind of you know eyes wide open and she said e- you know when you hold your hands wide open she goes i hold mine really wide open like all my fingers are separated because that's how fast money flows through my hands right Hmm. And, um, I, I, and mine are typically when I hold my hands open, my fingers are very tight, meaning I don't, I don't let a lot of money slide. And she goes, that's so funny. And, and I, and that's what she was getting at the Tony Robbins conference was trying to understand some of her thoughts around money, actually.
2: Hmm. And,
0: um, I was like, well, I, you know, I always keep $10,000 in my savings. And she's like, well, why that number? And I said, well, I was like, I guess, you know, when I was, Working for a normal job, and I knew I had consistent paycheck. I basically only kept five thousand in my savings, and that's horrible. I know, but that's what I did. And then, um, and then I, when I got into real estate, and it was like my first, you know, eight, 10 months, I only had about ten thousand always in my savings account because I was spending so much. And um, then I, she kind of like made me think about it. I was like, she's like, that number is stuck in your brain somehow, and you need to let that go. You can make mm-hmm. as much money as you want, go make it, and then put that money in savings. So now that number has grown to that mm. amount. But, you know, you hit huge setbacks. Like last year, my tax bill was $25,000. So, you know, trying to keep $60,000 in your savings account is pretty difficult when you have these major numbers coming at you. My tax bill this year is $43,000. So, and before it was my write-offs, it was 67000
1: i So I'm, I'm kind of hearing you're working with the CPA. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are are you going forward going to start paying quarterly taxes?
0: Yeah, my goal this year is to pay quarterly. Okay. Um uh, I it's difficult cuz obviously this quarter I'm paying the, mm-hmm. like total amount of money to the federal government and state government of $43,000 which is like some people's incomes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um sure. So it's hard, but yes, I definitely want to pay quarterlies and maybe potentially, you know, certain years get some money back because I pay too much into the quarterly. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for people that don't know what quarterly tax payments are, um, this applies to a lot of uh, people who don't have W-2 income. So if you're self-employed, sometimes um, if you're in retirement and you have income sources that are not W-2 your CPA can set you up paying quarterly taxes so that at the end of the year, or really at the beginning of the next year, you don't have these big tax bills. Uh, and, and this can be really challenging when your income can vary widely. Do, do you have a sense of what you're on pace to do for this year?
0: Yeah, my goal this year is to make $320,000.
1: And that's gross? Yeah, Gross. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so let's say you hit that goal, you make 320,000. Do you have a sense of how much of that is going to expenses for your business?
0: Uh, So based off of my tax uh, this past year, I did about $90,000 in business expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some of those, I wouldn't necessarily call them all perfectly, you know, business expenses, that's just cost of life, right? Like of, of driving and getting to your clients and stuff like that. So to, in my mind, yeah, I do pay quite a bit in technology um, every year. And uh, but I also have other sources of income now. So I'm now training other agents. And so I take a mentorship fee for each of their transaction. And then once they cap out with underneath my team, they also pay into another cap that goes into my team budget Um, so I'm making, I'm trying to also build other sources of income within the real estate market, but also maybe other streams of businesses that are around the business or around real estate.
1: Yeah. I think it's important for listeners to understand that somebody like yourself, self-employed, um, and real estate agent that. We talk about these numbers two hundred thirty thousand last year, potentially three hundred twenty this year. But that's not taking into consideration the expenses that come along with mm. being a real estate agent. So really, let's say you know you're conservatively spending one hundred thousand dollars this year on your um, business expenses. So that leaves you with about two twenty, and a significant portion of that is going to taxes, of mm. course. And um, so, what are you doing with the rest? H- how are you allocating that? You said you don't really budget. You keep
0: <laughs> it's very true. It
1: is low. Yeah, tell us more about that.
0: Yeah. Um, so I definitely like to travel, and I don't. Not necessarily that I don't swear in any expense, but I le- definitely like to stay in nice places. Um, and, and so in Europe, you can stay in nice places for pretty cheap. That's why I keep going back there. Um, I keep going back to Mexico because you can stay in really nice places for pretty cheap. So I, I've, I've chosen, also I went to Bali, Indonesia. Again, you can stay in really nice places for pretty cheap. Um, and when I say that, I'm like talking $250 a night and you're getting a really, really nice experience. Um, so my other, you know, my money's going in other places, but I also put in... Last year, I think I put in um, $10,000 into my SEP IRA, SEP IRA. Um, I've already put in $3,500 for this year um, from some of my income. Um, You know, I'm I'm definitely paying attention to where some of my money is going, but I also have to say, like, my restaurant expenses, like, they could definitely equate to $1,500 or $2,000 a month. And some of those are definitely... Uh, business expenses and some of those are not right. Mm-hmm. So I do try to make it now that if I am going to go out to eat, I'm trying to go out to eat with someone in our industry, because then I'm able to uh, not just not write it off, but but make sense of why I'm spending so much
1: money going out to restaurants. <laughs> it, interesting, yeah. So meals and entertainment, I think you get to write off fifty percent. I'm not a CPA, so don't. Don't hold my feet to the fire there. But uh, I do want to go back and touch on the SEP IRA. Mm -hmm. So a SEP IRA is very similar to a traditional IRA, um, but it's designed for self-employed people. And um, what the amount of money that you can put into the SEP IRA is higher than the traditional IRA. So were, were you working with your CPA to determine how much should go into your SEP IRA?
0: Yeah, so um my tax person was just saying that, you know, I think it was like 25% of my income can go in there or something like that. Um and so they calculated that I think like this year my taxable income 25% of it was like uh was it 40 I don't know, 40,000? I don't know what it was. Anyways, um we did we were putting playing with numbers to see how much I could potentially write off my income because I think it's dollar for dollar. So it's for every dollar you put into your SEP IRA, that's a dollar off of your income, taxable income.
1: Yep. Yep. You got it exactly right. So with a SEP IRA or traditional IRA, that money is going in quote unquote pre-tax. So, um, you're either taking a deduction for it or it's money that has not been taxed yet. You then can invest that money and if you invest it wisely, it should be able to grow over time. Um, it could grow over time. And when you take the money out when you're retired, that's when you pay taxes on it. So the idea is that you'll be in a lower tax bracket when you're retired and not earning income than you are now.
3: Mm-hmm. There's, lot,
1: there's lots of caveats with that, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it assumes that tax bracket's Look similar to where we are today, and um, but but no matter what, it's a great way to start saving for retirement. And it's money you're socking away that you um, don't use for for your daily expenses, monthly expenses. So, how do you plan a trip? Do you set a budget for your trip? You say you don't budget yet. You can throw back numbers at me um, about how day. much. Yeah, about how much you're spending on going out to eat. So um, I guess my question becomes, you know, you're, you're aware of where you are financially and how much you're spending. You're just not making choices proactively.
0: Yeah, I'm, not, I'm mindful of how much I'm spending, but I'm not necessarily setting myself up on a budget um so we're definitely planning trips um my mom taught me that if you can try to go on a trip for about a hundred dollars a day that includes like your flight and your stays you're doing pretty good so when I say I'm staying at a place for 250 dollars a night I'm probably splitting that up with friends um and so when I'm you know when we have friends go we're all splitting the cost and so it really does come out to less than two you know less than a hundred dollars a day in my stay and then mainly how I book my flights are, um, I wait for a deal. So I will, and I've, I started doing this about four years ago. So I'll say, I really want to go to Italy or I really want to go to Europe. Um, I'm going to wait for a, a deal to come to my email inbox that is for under $600 round trip. And I'll just wait and wait and wait. And then all of a sudden the next day or a couple of days later, I get an email that says, Five hundred eighty-five dollars round trip direct from Oakland to Rome, and I'm like, book done. And then I call, I talk to everybody else about booking because then I, because then I'm like, listen, when's the next time you're going to Rome for under six hundred dollars round trip? You're not, so you're just gonna buy the ticket now.
3: You're gonna.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I need to let that sink in first. So are, what, what technology are you using to track these prices?
0: Um, so I use Scott's Cheap Flights. I don't know okay. if you've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's a blog. Um, and you can pay a little extra. My brother pays a little extra. I'm too cheap to pay a little extra. But he pays a little extra to get, like, the best deals. And then I I have the free version. So they send me, a, you know, not the best deals. But um, my brother will sometimes let me know some of the best deals that come through and he'll forward them to my inbox <laughs> so that I know. But yeah, that's typically how I find my flights. Um, and then for my stays, based off my flights, so obviously I make my flight schedule, right? And then my stays are now adjusted based off of where my flights are, right? So now I'm like, okay, where can I say that I'm getting the most amount of money or most bang for my buck. And most of the time it's trying to stay close to the city center or near a metro station or, or, you know, some type of train station that I can get quick and easy access into the city without hopping into a taxi or renting a car. Uh, So in my trips, it's first of all, I don't know how to drive stick shifts. So in Europe, don't let me rent a car.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't drive stick either. So.
0: So the automatic the automatic versions of cars in Europe are so expensive to rent that I'm like, absolutely yeah. not. so best believe if I did do it i'd I would rent a stick shift, but I don't know if we would actually get anywhere because I wouldn't be able to drive it.
1: <laughs> so maybe one of your pre- prerequisites for your friends coming on the trip is can you drive stick shift
0: yeah one of my friends did I was like it's a prereq you're going to be driving the entire time when we go to see my family in Spain so yeah when we did rent a car but yes most of the time I'm trying to stay local to again reduce the cost of my my total travel right if you can reduce a lot of your transportation um that will save you a ton of money and be able to allow you to go do things during the day and then I have a rule when I'm on vacation and it's one thing a day so just do one activity. So if that's seeing the Picasso museum or going to the Vatican, it's one thing. And then afterwards I'm getting a cocktail and rewarding myself.
1: <laughs> for rewarding yourself for not doing multiple things. Yes. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important to have systems set up to be able to keep yourself within your bumpers. Mm -hmm. Uh, of your financial means and still be able to enjoy your life because ultimately money is there to provide nourishment and that was
0: good.
3: All (laughs) right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's as a financial planner, that's one of my major goals is how, how do we create stability um, and look at your long-term goals and have your money provide nourishment over time. You know, it's not just nourishment tomorrow, but nourishment 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, uh, maybe longer depending on how old we are. Um,
0: Can we talk about that really quick? If you're going to be a great financial advisor. So my financial advisor said to me, um, how long do you expect to live? And I said, a hundred. And he said, no, but really? And I said, no, but really? (laughs) So I plan to live to a hundred. And he was like, well, most people live to like 80. So when you're planning to live to 80 and I said, if I'm living to 80, I'm 27 right now, that means like 38% of my life is already gone. So I'm not okay with that. I was like, so if I'm 27 years old um, and I want to live to 100, only 27% of my life is gone. So I still have a lot of life to live. And he was like, okay. And I was like, so we're going to plan to live to 100 <laughs> because that's what I want to live to.
2: <laughs> so
1: yeah. yeah, no, this is, thanks for bringing that up because this is a really important, point as a financial planner m- my philosophy is I believe we are there to support what you need <laughs> you know it doesn't it industry averages matter yes but ultimately you know I am of the opinion that we should be planning more conservative conservatively versus less conservatively so the longer your lifespan, the the longer you have to fund making what your decisions look like now, probably more conservative. So planning Mm -hmm. to a hundred, you need to save more money every year now versus to planning to 80 or 85. So I find it interesting that, that they were giving you pushback. I I think he was trying
0: to, uh, I think he was trying to help me understand that, like, if I am going to save that much, it's going to have to be a lot to live to a hundred. Yeah, and 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 what's reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, then tell me what the number is, you know, because I want to know. Like, do I need to save thirty thousand dollars a year? Do I need to save twenty thousand dollars a year?
1: To yeah. Set
0: myself up?
1: Do you know um, what they were using for growth rates? No, he- I don't. Okay. Was t- tell me more about what when you were like, give me the number, um, what, what did, what did they say? What were they showing you charts? Were they using software? Yeah. They're that?
0: using charts and software, I think to like pump in some numbers and kind of give me an idea of what I needed to do. And mm-hmm. so he was like, basically like, if you want to do that, this is how much you would have to lit. So, oh, sorry. So he said, how much income do you want to make in retirement? And I said, well, I, and I was like, And he's like, based off today's dollar, right? Because everything uh, appreciates. And I said, well, I want to make basically what in today's dollar, $10,000 a month in retirement. Mm Because to be honest, I don't plan on living in the United States in retirement. So um, I think that would be plenty enough for me. But you know, you know, never know. Anyways, so he goes, okay, so $10,000 in today's money. And I said, Yes. And then he goes, okay, so if you wanted to do that and you want your money to grow, you're younger right now. So you have more opportunity for your money to grow if you put more money in now versus later, right? If you're putting money in at 75, I mean, you only have a few years for that money to grow
1: mm-hmm.
0: by the time you hit 100. So I was like, okay. Compounding. Understand. Yeah. So understood. So he said something like, um, he showed me some numbers and was like, okay, could you, what do you think is reasonable? Right? Like how much could you do right now in the next 10 years? How much money can you put in? And I was like, well, and and then it was basing it off me living to a hundred. Right. So he's like, in my opinion, if you could put $30,000 in for the next five years, that's going to lay down the foundation for that to grow by the time you hit a hundred. And then you only have to do I think it was less than 30000 It might've been like $15,000, $15,000 a year for the years after to hit my number um, so that I, when I retire, I could actually live comfortably. But he was like, you really need to front end load it um, so that you are in a safe space for when you retire because then that money will grow and compound a lot better if I do it now. But that's still not reasonable. I can't do 30000 I mean, at least I don't think I can do 30,000, maybe this year, maybe when I make $320,000 a year, I could put more money
1: in. We're always talking to people about, um, starting to save earlier, but on the other side of things, you can also work later. Mm -hmm. You love being a real estate agent. Maybe you don't retire at 60 or 65 or 70. Maybe you go part time.
0: Mm -hmm. I think what you'll see me do is probably have multiple businesses. mm -hmm. Um, Not all of them will be related to real estate and that will allow me to uh, continue to grow and and financially be completely sustainable so that when things happen, I'll be okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. From my perspective, I I think financial planners are in the business of behavior change. And part of that is how do you meet your clients where they are today? How Mm -hmm. do you help them? Like you said, this advisor says, "Okay, you need to save thirty thousand dollars this year." And to you, you're like, "Oh, that sounds like way too much because I saved ten last year." (laughs) You know, I I don't I think it's important to say, "Okay, you saved ten last year. We're gonna make a little bit more this year." let's start by automating your savings and we're Mm -hmm. going to increase it over time. And I'm going to monitor that. So I'm going to help you increase it and um, we'll see how it goes. And and little by little, you'll, you'll stop missing that money. You know, it, it will just
0: become a norm, like your mortgage payment.
1: Exactly. It
0: it is what it is. Yeah. It's it's exiting.
1: (laughs) it's, It's the habit. In my opinion, it's the habit that's so important. Not necessarily the dollar amount because we will, we'll, we'll get there, you know, mm-hmm. but, but you can't go from zero to a hundred. You have to start by taking steps. Yeah.
0: Especially when you're making the first year I met with him, I made uh, like, I think it was 75,000 in gross commissions. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: there was not $30,000 to pay into a Sapphira. Right. But yeah. I knew that in the future. I would make enough money to make that happen and still, you know, it's so great to go back and look at my mom and say, guess what? I put more in retirement this year than you did. Right. And so <laughs> it's my favorite feeling. Cause I'm like, Oh, you put 7,000. Like I put 10. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, I think some of her, her rules around money and her the way she grew up again, everybody in my family, um, you know, very much employed by another person and with benefits.
1: Yeah. 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 My my husband always says that when I'm thinking about something, I say, yeah, three times, and I just did it.
2: <laughs> Good
1: job. <laughs> so yeah, it, basically, uh, what's happening, what's going on in my mind right now is I'm just thinking about the challenge of projecting out, you said, you said you're 27? Mm-hmm. So projecting out. So far into the future, looking at w- what everything's going to look like when you're 80, A- and it's necessary because it gives you some parameters for for how to save now. But also, we're like he's probably using historical growth rates of the market, making some sort of assumption for your asset allocation, meaning how much do you have in stocks, how much do you have in bonds, um, cash, real estate, etc. And we just don't know what 's going to happen and so I think that's why it's great that you have a planner that you can work with each mm-hmm. year as things change and so long as they're they're meeting your needs of where you're at then that's great that's fantastic so i have i've got a next question for you what habits have you found to be successful in managing your finances do you, do you have a consistent you have a lot of um, ideas that sound like stems from some of some things that your parents taught you yeah The hundred dollars a day on vacation um how to buy your flights that sort of thing do you have any other habits or do you look how often do you look at your bank accounts
0: I look at it probably every three days I am, okay. I, I look at Great. my bank accounts constantly um I I have that habit from being younger, I mean, my parents. Um, I, you know, paid my own car insurance, paid my own car payment, paid my, you know, own gas. Um, if I wanted anything, especially once I hit like 16 years old, it was on me to make that happen. Um, and my cell phone, everything. I mean, it was just like it was on me. So I think that you know, checking your accounts constantly, especially when you're younger, because you're not making a lot of money, you need to check your accounts. Otherwise, you're going to get charged a fee. When it overdrafts and pulls from your savings, right? And I, like I said, I only ever had a thousand dollars in savings. Or did I say that I only ever had a thousand dollars in savings when I was in high school? So, if my you know my car needs new tires, guess what? I had to go to that thousand dollars in savings. And then you quickly realize when you're younger, you're like, oh my god, a thousand dollars in savings is nothing. You need new tires, and all of a sudden, now I only have six hundred and fifty dollars in in savings. So, um, I think yeah, so definitely some of those habits of looking at my account definitely help. Um. I also use Mint, which tracks like my spending, which I love to kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe I spent this much money at restaurants, right? So that's part of the reason why I know how much I've spent because sometimes I've looked at it and it looks like a whole mortgage payment that went towards fine dining. Um, (laughs) Basically, I live at restaurants just so everyone else knows. Um,
1: (laughs) That's why you don't spend much on rent.
0: Exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Um, And then... What else? Um, I think some of my habits around, for example, like I want to buy a house this year. So you see me right now, I'm drinking coffee from home. I used to be at Starbucks every single day. So coffee at home, because I'm trying to save money for a house. I'm like, I can cut out a huge piece of my budget. So I am very conscious and aware, but I'm not maybe like saying, this is how much money I have allocated towards coffee every month, or this is how much money I have allocated towards restaurants. And I definitely think that would make a huge change in me but when you're doing so many things at once and you're a top producing agent you're managing other people's lives and transactions then you're training newer agents and bringing them onto your team and it basically like acquiring more business um i think it's pretty hard to keep track of all that and now it's start it's i think i'm getting to a point in my life where i'm going to start having to hire people truly hire them on a monthly basis on a retainer basically to kind of take care of some of this stuff for me versus hiring an admin for just myself maybe hire you know, a specialist that handles bookkeeping and that type of stuff so they can do all that for me because I don't have that right now and I do it all on my own.
1: Yeah, free up some time so that mm-hmm. you can go uh, do more showings or meet with more clients or that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to be client facing as much as possible. So that's, you know, towards the end of this year, that's another goal is to hire an admin on the back end of my business. So that way I can be in front in my business constantly, in front of people every day.
1: Do you have a monthly savings goal? No. What do you think about that? Instead uh, of of giving yourself buckets, what do you think about saying, "Okay, I'm going to save a thousand dollars each month, and then whatever else I bring in can be allocated, however I <laughs> please." <laughs> I'm just curious to get that your would be
0: awesome. I when you first said that, I was like, "Absolutely not! I would never do that." Because like. I, because my income is so erratic you know mm-hmm. like this month we're closing about fifty thousand dollars in transactions um so fifty thousand dollars in gross commissions for myself mm-hmm. but next month may only be ten fifteen thousand right and there's still a lot of like expenses that go along with being a real estate agent like you you mentioned so you know my my base fees in my business i know are about forty six thousand dollars i did do a rough estimate of that of like of that ninety thousand forty six thousand dollars are just like you can't get around them. I have to pay them, they're, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. They're fixed. They're like, this is it too bad. So, um, knowing that I have to be more conscious, but yeah, I definitely think a thousand dollars is doable. I definitely think like $1,500, $2,000 is doable, but knowing like, cause some months I'll save 10 grand and then other months I'm pulling from that 10 grand to like pay for my lifestyle because you know, December, January are dry months in real estate. Um, So I don't make a ton of money and I have to pull from savings to keep affording my life and pay for gifts for people and, you know, all that good stuff.
1: Have you thought about using the bucket approach when it comes to your bank accounts? So having different savings and checking accounts for different purposes?
0: Um, I had, I mean you had mentioned it prior to me, but I really haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. I know you mentioned like separating the accounts so that way there's a certain amount of money in each account for each thing. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Again, yeah, maybe this is something your your advisor can help you do, but essentially you have your minimum monthly savings account. So let's just say that's a thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. and you can pick a date every month that you're going to transfer that a thousand dollars and that that money is out of sight, out of mind. Usually I recommend calling it something like the do not touch account <laughs> or cannot access or something, whatever feels good to you. Yeah. Or is going to stop you from from looking at that as money that you can use. Then you have your, you know, traditional checking account, which you're using for day-to-day expenses. Then you can have multiple storage accounts. So you could have one account that you're going to put in X amount of money every time you've got a month that you make over twenty five thousand.
2: Mm-hmm. So in those
1: months, you're gonna you're gonna put five thousand dollars into that account. Immediately. And that, immediately. And that's the account that when you have that seven, ten, twelve thousand dollar month, that's mm-hmm. where you're going to supplement your expenses.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you can have taxes account. You know, every month you might be putting away something for taxes. You can have as many of these accounts as you want.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it, do, it is a lot of work on the front end mm-hmm. to set it all up. Um, and some banks don't, won't let you do it, but um, there's ways around that. So if people want to do that, <laughs> just ask us in the comments and we can give some recommendations. But um anyways, it can be really nice because then, when you log in to your banking app, you see exactly where you are. You make the bank remember what money is for what, not you having to remember what money is for what so that's just one that's idea fine. to kind of help you um, move and forward.
0: I kind of like the automatic or like automatic draft like of that day that month is like that's gonna happen. I should just know that like the eleventh of every month that you know, $1,500 is going straight into a savings that's completely separate from from my accounts Normal. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I'm gathering that you are a process-oriented planner.
3: Mm-hmm,
0: yes. So,
1: so having a repeatable process.
0: It, is very important. Otherwise, it won't yeah. actually happen. I think yeah. when you're doing as many things as I'm doing a day, you, there's just no way, there's absolutely no way that I would actually remember, oh, today's the 12th, so let me go ahead and put that money in. No, it had to be automatic. Like, and then I would look at my accounts and be like three days later and be like, oh my gosh, you're $1,500 missing. Oh, I know where that went.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And that's why you have to set a number that you're comfortable with because obviously you don't want to overdraw.
3: Yeah, for sure.
1: But, um, okay. Well, to kind of wrap up here, tell us what your proudest financial moments have been thus far.
0: Um, when I, I remember when I first hit $25,000 in my savings and I was like, I finally felt like I broke that rule of 10,000 with
2: Mm.
0: when I was at Tony Robbins with that girl, um, or that woman who was with me, who's a coworker. And, um, I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have this much money because i never seen money like this in my life. Right. You know, coming from making $70,000 a year to now making, you know, two thirty last year and the goal to be over 300 this year. Mm -hmm. And um, the overall goal with my business coach is to make about $500,000 a year in the next five years. That'd be like my normal income and without trying. Um, Or maybe not without trying, you know how that is work really, really hard and then you'll make that type of money. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But getting to a point where I can make that. And I think um, that was huge, having that, that savings, but also, recognizing and i think everybody that listens to this should also think about this recognizing when you need help from somebody who is like yourself Annalise. um that you know you need to go to that person when the time is right and and really start to set up your financial goals and your success and how you're gonna do it and um I, you know, quickly realized that I didn't know what I was doing. I came from a family that was, you know, employed by other people, had 401ks, had pensions and all that stuff set up. And so I don't know anything about that stuff and finding the right person that you're like, okay, this is, makes sense for me. They're smart, they're educated, they get it. They know where I'm coming from and what I need to do. I think that's leverage. Um, and so starting to do those things are, are super important for me. And I'm so appreciative of like, when I do find someone who is talented um, that I'm like, I trust you and you you can hold this responsibility for me. And I think as you get making more and more money, you start to recognize how, all of that stuff, you know, like you, you just can't do it all. There's no way. So, but you can do it all with processes and systems and the right people in place. And so I, I've started to do that for myself.
1: Yeah, a team approach can be very successful. I was listening to a YouTube video um, about an author talking about her book. I think it was called The Love of Money. And she said, clarity is power. And it's kind of that knowledge is power. And I, I hear that from what you're saying, you know, having that team, that talent, that support is what gets you to the next level, so you can rise up and um, find wellness, both financially and in your personal health. So, with that, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with?
0: No, I think I think we covered it all. Um, I think the biggest thing for your listeners is to recognize when it's time to put that team in place, right? Mm-hmm. And and. Um, sure. When is it, least Is it right now? Like, is it any financial means, um, or is it, um, you know, when you start to make a little bit of money and you start to recognize that you have other areas that you could pour into, right? So, I think that's hard. I think most of America doesn't live with abundance um, in mind, or or have the financial means to do so. So, you know, definitely, I think speaking to you in the beginning, even if they're not ready, six months a year from today, they may be ready to truly make the leap of. Financial success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and start with something that is achievable and doable for you. Mm-hmm. So, whether that's putting $10 a month into your savings account, or $10,000, or $100,000, um, it's that habit, that habit um, of changing your mindset, your relationship with money, your money personality, becoming that financially well, um, financially savvy person so that you can keep doing what you're doing and and use your money for nourishment. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the Rise Up Tribe. If you're a regular here, thanks so much for listening. You're a valued member of our community. If you'd like to come on the show, Google This American Wallet, which will take you to the podcast page of our website here at Rise Up Financial. Until next time, be kind and save money.